You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. It's fun. Listen, would you do this this morning? We're continuing our series, The Gospel Story. It's finding Jesus in the Old Testament. And this is what this journey is all about. I don't want you to lose sight of this. Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. How big is that? I mean, that is just an incredible. For me, it's been a, a treasure hunt and going in different places and finding Jesus. Now, we are going into two books in the Bible that can get really detailed and can be sometimes a bit complicated. So what we pray for, what I've already prayed for for you is God would make this message profound, but simply understood. Because when you really get down to it, you see Jesus in a lot of places, as you do in the book of Exodus and Leviticus. And so we're in those books. I don't know if maybe you've never gone there before. Uh, maybe you've never looked at those books. Go there. I just encourage you to do even a little homework. Uh, you can take the notes from today. There are a lot of notes that you can take today. In fact, George, uh, back there who's operating our PowerPoint, said, my goodness, you are keeping me busy this morning. So... We're keeping him busy. Let us stay busy, too. We can take a few few notes, and that's what we're doing. The, the message today really focuses around, it's actually out of the book of Exodus, and specifically chapters 38 through 40. If you want to get a head start, you can go in your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 38. I've titled today's message, God Wants to Be With You. Now, I'm going to let that sink in a little bit, because when we think about the book of Exodus, we might not think about the personal qualities that are found in that book. But I think Exodus has that, that, that theme that goes all the way through from the beginning to the end of Exodus. It's this desire that God has to be with his people, that God has to be with you. And so what you see is God standing out in the book of Exodus, how much God wants to be with you, how much God wants to be with us. I think Exodus shows us the extraordinary effort that God makes to, to be present in our lives. And I, I'm going to say this, and I know this about presence in my own life, and maybe you can think about relationships that you have as well. I think presence carries even more power, uh, more influence than even our words. Uh, I, I know this. Sometimes our words don't quite meet uh, the promises that we make. Presence always meets the promise. Presence means you're there. You've shown up. And people need people to show up today in their life. We need God to show up in our lives, and that's the promise he gives us. In the book of Exodus, he says, I want you to see how tenacious, how willful, how purposed I am in pursuing you. That God wants you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he pursues you. And the reason he pursues you is because he loves you. Now, you may have studied this book before, and that never dawned on you that this book, the book of Exodus, is about God's pursuit of his people. So the book of Exodus doesn't try to hide that. It doesn't, it doesn't just imply God's passionate pursuit for those that he loves. His pursuit for his people is unashamed. I mean, God makes that known. It stands in the bright light of his amazing grace that he wants you to know. And he wants the world to know that he pursues his people. God is not put off when we read the, the book of Exodus and Leviticus and places where the children of Israel backslide. He's not, he's not put off by their propensity to be prodigals. He's not put off by that. He's not put off 
uh, by their chasing after other gods, other loves, like a prostitute. He continues to come after the prodigals. He comes after the prostitutes. He comes after people who have run away from him. And, and I know for me, that's been true in my life. And you see that as a journey of the children of Israel, where you back away from God or you go somewhere else away from God and you find out that, that God keeps on pursuing you, that he will not be turned away. He will come after you. He will continue to come after you. And let me, I want to tell you one of the best stories. I've, 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 I think I've told this story before, but, but it really it really fits. Um, a story that I think best describes, at least in my current memory, it, it, it best describes what God wants to do in being with us. In just the value, the influence, the power of his presence. And that story comes from a small boy uh, who happens to be my son, who's not a small boy anymore. Uh, in fact, I, I couldn't believe I heard this the other day. They're going to be, my son and daughter-in-law are going to be married, getting close to 20 years now. Uh, they're raising three kids, very proud of the way they've raised their kids. I'm proud of the way my, my kids and my spouses and my grandkids are, are, are growing up and that, we <clears throat> that we've been given that open door to influence their life. Uh, my oldest granddaughter, I think she loves spending the, the night at our house. You'll see her this morning because she spent the night last night, and, and she just loves hanging out here as well. She loves to be at church. She wants to be in the presence of God. And so with this story going back several years, it was when the kids were younger. Uh, one morning we all got up and we went into the breakfast table. It's pretty quiet like mornings can be. Everybody's trying to shake out the cobwebs. The only thing you could hear was the crunch of kids eating Cheerios. And oftentimes it's deafening, especially when you're sitting next to them. And it's actually a little gross when you watch it, you know. It's just going everywhere. But we were, we were eating Cheerios together. And then Ronnie, my son, he spoke up casually and he said, Oh, uh, Jesus came into my room last night. Now that's a showstopper right there when someone says Jesus came into your room last night. And uh, we all tried not to be really Annette and I tried not to get that excited. So we said, What did he say? And uh, what, what he responded, he said, oh, he didn't say anything. He just kissed me and walked out of the room. And, and I thought this to myself, right? Even at that moment, I thought, that is just Jesus. You know, that's how I knew. It's just Jesus. He just showed up in a boy's life. And the thing that he wanted that boy to know didn't get communicated through words. It was communicated through presence. It was communicated through the fact that he knew that God was with him. And that's important for us to know. It's important for you and me to know that God is with us. And I think especially in the days and months ahead, um, I just have this sense. I, I'm going to just tell you, I have this, this sense, you can call it, I don't know what you want to call it, a prophetic sense of sorts that the, the next four or five months, there are going to be things that are going to be happening that we want to pay attention to. But one of the things that we're going to need to know more than anything else is that God is real and his presence is with us and that we we have God on our side, that he's with us and that he wants to be with us. And I see that around. I see that in the the stories that that are told in Scripture. So what touches us is we know that God loves us and that God cares for us. It's pretty basic. 
I don't know if you know this, but the storyline that you read in Exodus is your storyline. It's your narrative of salvation. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But if you pull off of Exodus and go about 30,000 feet and look down, you're going to say, oh, that that's my story. Because all those that come to faith in Jesus Christ have this story. This is your testimony. First, in Exodus 1 through 12, you're told about the domination by Egypt. And then you go to the liberation from Egypt in chapters 13 through 18. And then it's followed up by the revelation after Egypt in Exodus 19 through 40. So we know this Egypt is always represented or symbolized sin in our lives. So when you talk about being in Egypt, and I remember the old preachers used to say, come out of Egypt. What they were saying was, come out of sin. You know, that's what it represented. Egypt has always symbolized that in a believer's life. So you were once dominated by the power of sin. You were held in bondage by the power of sin. In fact, the, the New Testament author, Paul, says that you didn't have any other choice. That you, The only choice you had was to sin. So you were under the power, the spell, the domination of sin. And, and then what happens is there's a liberation from sin when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. When you confess your sins and you say, Lord, I confess my sins. I want you to be the Lord of my life. There is a liberation that comes when that happens. And you've experienced that if you've accepted Jesus. And you, I, most of us can go back to the, the very moment we said those words. Lord, I want to be free. I want to have your freedom in my life. And then you look a little further and what you recognize is there is a revelation that comes. After the liberation, now you're on this journey, all of us who know Christ, are on this journey right now. It's, Lord, I want to know you more and more every day. There's a revelation that, that God is teaching you through his word and through his spirit. That's why you're opening the Bible this morning. That's why I think you're hearing and listening this morning as you're, you're opening it up and you're saying, Lord, give me a, a, a revelation of who you are. And you see that in Exodus 19 through 40 in this passage of Scripture. And that's really where we're going to go today but it's becoming more like Jesus. Uh, I love what, what uh, Romans 6, 6 and 7 say. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin or had, was powered by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So you see the parallel that you can make in this scripture with the domination of sin, <clears throat> the liberation, and the revelation of Israel. And then I love, this is one of my favorites. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It said, it, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. There it is again. <clears throat> Referring back to the, the Israelites in Egypt. Now, if you want to really go to an Old Testament book in the New Testament, does anybody know what the most Old Testament, New Testament book is? It's the book of Hebrews. Makes sense, doesn't it? Go there and study some of this because there's, there's good things that's stated there. So we have domination, we have liberation, and we have revelation. And that sums up, that's our overview of our testimony. 
Now, here are a few things that when you're looking at this, looking down at the pages you're staring at right now, six chapters in Exodus, Exodus 35 through 40, is a repeat. Now, you have to know this. It's a repeat of chapters 25 through 28. So when we're assigned these passages of Scripture, there's a lot of stuff here to unpack, isn't it? I mean, you start going at this and go, wow, I'm going to pull this apart. This is where God tells Moses to build the tabernacle. This is the place that God's saying, I want to gather. I want to be with my people. I want to be with you. See, again, God's tenacity shows up here. Another thing about chapters 35 and 40 is this is take two for Israel. And I'm thankful that God has given me a few take twos. Uh, because we don't always get it right the first time. And neither did the people of Israel. Because you remember, take one didn't take. It didn't, it didn't take for the people. There. It was a failure. Moses went up to the mountain to receive a revelation from God. He comes down the mountain. He has tablets of Ten Commandments. He, he comes down and he's startled that the children of Israel have already backslidden. So much so that they build a golden calf to worship. Moses lets his anger get the best of him, which is a common theme in Moses' life. And he throws down the tablets. They break up, and God says, listen, you, you, no, you, why did you do that? You know, because we just spent a lot of time writing that stuff down. He says, go back up. And so what does he do? <laughs> Moses goes back up. And, uh, and the second time, which is what you're looking at, it actually takes. I mean, the children of Israel are obedient. And uh, I think Moses, a couple times, and we know he did this, he said, just, just kill them. You know, they're just really ticking me off, you know. And this is one of the times that he, and God says, no, I can't do that. You need to be obedient and follow me because they need to know me. So here we have the building of the tabernacle. And that's where we focus on today. So what I want to do with you just for a moment is I thought it would be really a good idea to take a few articles that are instructed to be built by Moses that are in the tabernacle. They're building this in the, in the, in the wilderness, in the desert. There are a few articles that are built and put in the courtyard around the tabernacle that are important for you to know. And the reason it's important for you to know is because it's pointing you to Jesus. It's actually, it's like a road sign. The Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. And so one of the first articles you see is in Exodus 38 verses 1 and 2. Because here you read about the bronze altar of sacrifice. It's important to know about this. It says this. And they built an altar of burnt offering of acacia wood three cubits high. Uh, it was square, five cubits long, five cubits wide. They made horn, a horn at each of the corners, the four corners, so that the horns and the altar were one piece, and they were overlaid uh, on the altar with bronze. It's so that's now hold on to that thought just for a moment, uh, because it's so interesting to me that this is what is going to be central to the old covenant. This is central to the covenant. The altar is central because it's about sacrifice. It's about saving us, being with us. So interesting. Did you notice some of the wood that's used there? Now I'm going to draw you back. Acacia wood. It's interesting. Acacia wood is also mentioned uh, with Noah and the ark. There was something there that saved us. And God will have these themes you'll see run through Scripture. And you'll go, oh, wow, those things are connected. You bet they are. 
A lot, so much of this is connected. So this is the bronze altar became the basis of the whole covenant and that sacrifice. This is where the blood of sacrifices was shed. <clears throat> there must be the shedding of blood. Um, and I want you to think about this altar, and this is the way I want you to think about it. Think about this altar pointing you to another altar, another place. That place is called Golgotha. And that altar is called the cross of Jesus Christ, where there was blood shed for you. There was a sacrifice God made for us in his son, Jesus Christ, on the altar of Calvary. And this altar here is pointing you in that direction because it says this in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin so that your blood would not need to be shed for sin. Jesus shed his blood once and for all for everyone that believes on him. And so you have an altar that points you, that tells you about Jesus Christ. And then with that altar, there's a thing called a laver. If you've got the, uh, how many, if you have the King James Version, it says laver. <laughs> uh, if you have a modern translation, it says wash basin, which I get that one. The wash, wash basin, I understand that one. But it's a wash basin. Again, another piece of meaningful furniture, it's the wash basin of bronze. It's mentioned in Exodus 38, 8. It says, and they made the bronze basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, this is pretty incredible to me. It's interesting because this basin was made from an offering of mirrors. Now, think about that. It's made from an offering of mirrors. So people brought their mirrors. And the mirrors at that time were typically polished bronze. If you polish bronze really Good, you can actually see yourself in it. So they bring this polished bronze. This is an offering that God says, I'm going to put this and make a wash basin. Listen, this is an offering up of one's vanity. That's what's happening here. It's offering one's vanity because here's the deal. When you go and stand before God, it's not about you. It's about God. When you go into the presence of God, it's a, not about your vanity or what you think about yourselves and what you think you should look like or what you think you should do all together. It's about God. And God's saying, hey, I want you to make an offering and offer up your vanity so that you can come wholeheartedly and worship me. And, and that's what happens here. They offer up these mirrors. And, and when you go before God, you have no room to, to think about yourself. And that's really what 1 Timothy 1.17 says. It says, this is the reason we come in the presence of God. <laughs> to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honored and given glory forever and ever. That is the purpose we go into his presence. That is the purpose we stand before the Lord. It's for this reason right here. Now, what's interesting, and let me, let me share this with you. Hebrew history lets us know a few things here. The mirrors were offered uh, by, by, by the women who had mirrors. They offered them. Now, there were a couple reasons why they did that. One is when you look in a mirror, you, you either see your beauty or you see other things. Let's say that. And you try to fix those other things. 
And you get preoccupied with those other things. And God's saying, I don't want you to be preoccupied with those other things. So let me tell you what they were preoccupied with during that time. Imagine what it would be like for you to leave Egypt, taken care of pretty well, still in bondage, taken care of. You get out of the desert and you start getting that hot wind blowing in your face and you start dealing and living in the desert life. The next time you pick up a mirror, you might gasp for what you see. So it's not only vanity about what's beautiful, it's vanity about the wear and tear and the things that we look at, the imperfections we look at that we want to take care of. Listen, it's only God that can deal with your imperfections. It's only the king wise, eternal, immortal that can take care of those things. So basically what they did is they didn't God didn't want the hardship of the desert life to be looked at physically. I don't want you to look at that because you're looking you're looking at the wrong things. You're going to be occupied with the wrong things. And this wash basin is to remind us that when we go before God again, it's not about us. It's about keeping the main thing, the main thing. So whenever you think about a wash basin, think about keeping the main thing, the main thing that we are to cleanse ourselves of ourselves. That's the other purpose of the wash basin, <laughs> that, that you would wash your hands and your feet. But it means to cleanse yourself of yourself, to give all the honor and glory to Jesus. Now, here's something else. You have to ask the question, maybe you've already done this, is why is bronze used in, in the articles that are mentioned here in the tabernacle? Because it's, it's mentioned in the altar, it's mentioned in the wash basin, and there's a reason why bronze is used. The metal bronze always symbolizes judgment. And it is the uh, it's the most common of what we would say precious metals. But it always represents judgment. And so when you're going into the presence of God in the Old Testament, there's a wash basin, there's a, a, an altar. And what is happening is God saying, I'm judging your sins here. I'm judging your sins. And so bronze is a reminder that this is a place where sin is being judged in those outer courts. It's all happening right there. And so what you do then is you skip down a little bit, if you would, with me and look at verses 21 through 29. I'm not going to read them all. And the reason I'm not is I'm going to have you read it later. OK, so there's homework that you have to do a lot of detail to this. But essentially what you're reading is the inventory of things that are in the outer court. There are things that are in the outer court. What happened was God said to Moses, take an offering. It's a one-time offering. And if you remember, this offering was so benevolent, so generous, Moses had to say, stop it. Don't give anymore. But the extent of the offering is incredibly remarkable when you read this passage. This is an offering. Moses said, stop giving it. It's too much. So if, you, uh, if you've been... To Israel, it mentions here shekels. You'll read through it, it says shekels, talents. Immediately, if you've been to Israel, you think about their, their currency, you think the shekel is a coin. The shekel here in your Bible is not a coin. Coinage doesn't even come for another several centuries. Coinage comes about the 600 B.C., comes through the Greek lineage, now today Turkey. They started putting coins together. This is a weight is what it's talking about. When it mentions shekels, it's talking about how much things weigh. 
And so I was curious, what would be the modern-day one-time offering? You know, what would, what would this look like? So here's what it looks like. It's $5 million of gold, $4 million in silver, 7000 in bronze, and give or take, it's a total one-time offering of precious metals of about $10 million. So the, they're packing this stuff around the wilderness. And I'm sure they're thinking, okay, I'd rather... I'd rather have food right now than this because this is just a heavy burden. But God had a reason. And this was the reason. This was a generous offering and it was being hauled around the, the, the wilderness. So here's what you have to understand. These people were wholehearted in take two. They were generous in take two. They, they wanted to do what God commanded them to do in take two. And so with that said, you flip over and you go to Exodus chapter 39 because there's some explanation given here that points you right to Jesus again. Uh, This is where there's a phrase used. And I want you to see where this phrase and how many times this phrase is used. And by the way, anything repeated over and over, you know this? What is God saying? I need your attention. Yeah, I I need your attention. That's why... That's why the most common repeated phrase in the Bible is to you and me, don't fear. Don't fear. Why? You always fear. I mean, even when there isn't anything to fear, you make up something to fear. We do. And so God just says, don't fear. Don't be anxious. Well, whenever he repeats it, he's saying, okay, guys, pay attention to this. So when you look at the sampling here, and all I did was put a sampling of Scripture together. So you can put I highlighted as the Lord commands. Look at the number of places. You'll see that just in chapter 39. It's mentioned in chapter 40 as well. But you see it says the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord commanded Moses. The Lord commanded Moses. He commanded Moses. So what's he saying? Folks, I want you to learn something. Even today, fast forward several thousand years, he's saying the Lord is talking to us right now. And what he's asking is that we be obedient. He's saying, hey, the Lord spoke. Let's respond and be obedient. So we learn a few things from the Israelites. Two things. I remember this growing up. I remember, um, I remember my dad saying this, uh, especially when, when it had to do with some athletic discipline, because that's kind of the environment I grew up in. He says, hey, when you see people, you know, let, let's say in track or uh, football or whatever, just take notes of what you don't want to do and take notes of what you do want to do. And so it's important, and, and ba- in fact, that's my definition of discipline, remembering every day what I don't want, remembering every day what I do want. Those are the rails that you run on. And so Moses says here, folks, there's things that you don't want to do that you see in the life of Israel. Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, and in fact, he comes right out and he says it. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did, as the children of Israel did. Do not be idolaters. And some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 3,000 of them died. So he's saying when you do stuff like this, you die. Now, it might not be a physical death. May, may not be. But there's a spiritual death that comes. And so 
Moses is obeying, and we're taking notes and saying the children of Israel did these things we don't want to do. But they also did some things here on the second take we do want to do. Number one for me is they gathered in unity to worship God. And I think that's always important, that you come together in unity and you worship God. Secondly, uh, they gave generously to God. That's something else you see them do when they came together. And the third thing you know about is they were fully devoted to God. And so in chapter 39, we also have this list of the high priest's clothing. Now, I'm going to ask you to focus here just for a moment with me because you're thinking, man, we're going to talk about clothes. Yeah, but we're going to talk about clothes that talk to us about Jesus. Because when you see this here, it, it's a, to me it was a mind blower. Um, I'm going to sum it up by saying this. There, there were eight articles of clothing worn by priests. Only four of those articles were worn by the high priest. So the high priest was set apart a bit. And I'm going to tell you what those articles were. I'm not going to explain them all, but I'm going to tell you. It's the ephod. That's an ornate apron. You have a breastplate, you have a crown, and you have a blue robe, a beautiful, ornate blue robe. Now, here's something that I, I want you to see because it's all about, again, the very nature of Jesus Christ. This robe worn by the high priests were called garments of beauty, or they were called golden garments. They, they were just called, they were, they were known to be those kind of royal golden garments. And he wore them, the high priest wore them all the time, except for one time a year that he would take off all his royal vestige. He would take off all his beauty. And that was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, he would walk into the Holy of Holies with a sacrifice and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. What he was wearing at that time was just undergarment of linen. Basic. Everybody could own those kind of undergarments. You didn't wear what the priests wore on other occasions, but you could. You had an undergarment. And the priest would come in on the Day of Atonement because today is Yom, Yom Kippur. This is amazing to me. So one time a year, the high priest laid aside his garments of beauty. And he took the blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. And he did this because there was a reason. This is an amazing parallel to something that's so dear to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Says in Philippians chapter 2, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on, first of all, taking off royal vestiges and putting on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. For 33 and a half years, your high priest took off his heavenly garments to be with you. To come. And not to just offer a sacrifice, but offer himself as a sacrifice. 
says, and he is our great high priest who came and disrobed, humbled himself to a horrible death. And I think about how far that went, laying aside of garments, this something that we see in Jesus and his suffering, but it went down to wearing nothing on the cross. That there was a humiliation about the cross, that Jesus took it even further here, and he said, I, I, this, I'm going to be totally stripped down, totally mocked, totally made fun of, totally cast aside. But I'm going to do that as the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. So whenever you read about this now, if you haven't already, think about what Jesus did for us. And it says here that people finished their work and presented it to Moses in verses 42 to 43 of chapter 39, it says they did what Moses asked them to do, and it says, and he was blessed by their obedience. And here's the culmination. Here's the culmination in chapter 40. It says in verses 1 and 2, and then the Lord said to Moses, set up the tabernacle, the tent of the meetings, on the first day of the first month. I love this because this is the dedication of the tabernacle, the place now where God will dwell. Just picture this. There's a place that God is going to dwell. Exodus chapter 40 is where the whole old covenant begins because up until now, all that was happening was the planning. And now it all is happening. It all is being initiated in chapter 40 of Exodus. It's all happening here. Also, up until now, the tent of meetings and the tabernacle were two separate places. And I want you to get this because before this, the tent of the meetings was, remember, it was outside the camp. And Moses would get away from the people, go away from everything, and go out in the tent of meetings. And the people would just kind of peek out there and go, whoa, 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 he's with God because there's a cloud out there right now. Uh, and they would, they, were, they, they would hide. But what happens here is Moses said, no, I don't want to be removed. I don't want to be five blocks away. God's saying, I want to come close. I want to be with people. And what's amazing is the two words become the same word in Scripture. The word used for tent of, of meetings was the word ochel modech, meaning that is the tent of meetings. That's where we meet. And, and the word for tabernacle was the word mishkah. And now those two words come together to make one. So what he's saying is, it's no longer separate. I'm no longer staying away from people. I'm coming in to be with them. Wow. The tenacity, the detail of what God does here, where he takes the two and makes them one. And now they're combined because they're, all, they're one now. Where the glory of the Lord will rest. Now remember, as they go forward, remember... It was the cloud that they would follow by day. It's the glory of the Lord and the fire by night. This is where it was initiated right here. This is where they started living out the covenant and relationship that they had with God. This is what distinguished them as people of God was right here. And I want to say this. What distinguishes you as people of God is the same thing that distinguished the children of Israel as people of God. And that's the presence of God in your life. It's the Holy Spirit abiding in you, living in you. That's what makes us different. That's what sets us apart. That when people maybe look at our lives, they're going, wow, there's, there's, there's something different there. 
And in fact, I think when we live that compelling life for Jesus, there are people that want to follow that, that want to be close to that. And I, I think that's true today. People are wanting to be close to the presence of God. They don't know how to say it all together. They don't know how to do it all together. But, but it's something that you, <clears throat> that you can share with them. And this is what it says in chapter 40. It says, place the Ark of the Covenant, the law, in it and shield the Ark with a curtain. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the month in the second year when Moses set up the tabernacle. He put the basis in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars and set up the post. It was now a, a message that God is here. That God is with his people. After all this was completed, it says, and then the cloud covered the tent. I can't imagine what that would have been like to see. The moment that was finished, the cloud covers the tent. Why? Why did this happen? Exodus 25, 8, God says to Moses, make a sanctuary and I will dwell there with my people. That's why. It's about God's pursuit of you. It's about God's salvation in our lives. And God exercises his divine, his divine determination to be with us. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Um, it says this. I think we have it up there. First Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It tells us about God wanting to be with us and that we are now a temple of his Holy Spirit. And so when you read about God taking care of us and looking out after us, it's about God's presence, his Holy Spirit being with you. And then I'm going to finish with this. The day of Pentecost was the day that changed everything and extended us into a new covenant with him. The sacrifice was made and now the wind of God the breath of the Holy Spirit came upon his people. That's what sets us apart. Then I say, Lord, I want to live inspired, filled, empowered by your spirit so that a world can come to know you, the people around us. That's where we're, where we're going, especially this season, this Christmas, this Easter season, that we're headed in that direction, saying, Lord, we want to follow you. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? For those that um, just invite Jesus, if you've never done that, you can invite Jesus into your life, into your heart. Um, the Bible says, if I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, then there's salvation that comes. And so immediately after this prayer, there are going to be a few people up here that will be glad to pray with you. Come forward and receive prayer this morning if you need someone to pray with you. If you remember somebody's name that you want to put on the wall, come forward and do that as well. We want to see God's salvation. We want to see the cloud of salvation rest upon his people. And so, Father, today, we just ask in the precious name of Jesus that you would fill us up, that you would inspire us to be more like you every single day. We care for you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Amen. Would you do this? Go ahead and stand up with me. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. 
You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com. 